Hello, my friends, and welcome again to the Bible Lab, the podcast where we explore major themes from every book of the Bible in order to see how each page points us to Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. I'm your host, Andy Wood. Thank you for joining me, friends. We are in the middle of an examination of the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to look at our second theme in just a moment. Before we do, uh, just a friendly reminder that this material that I am giving you on this podcast, I am pulling largely from Jason Derushi's book, What the Old Testament Authors Really Cared About. So I encourage you to pick that book up. It's really fantastic. They're able to go more in depth than I am on this podcast. And it is, I think, accessible to just about everybody, no matter where you are in your Christian faith. So highly encourage you guys to check that out. So we're going to be talking today about fearing God. And as I've been thinking about how to structure this episode, I thought it would be good before we dive into it, to just kind of talk about what it means to fear the Lord here at the beginning. And when we get to the section about fearing the Lord, you will remember what I've said, and I won't have to stop kind of in the middle and explain it. So fearing the Lord, right off the bat, here's the problem we're going to run into. We speak English. I'm speaking to you in English. You are listening in English. But the Bible was not written in English. The Bible, particularly the Old Testament, was written in Hebrew. And so what we are doing when we read is that we are reading a word in English that was originally spoken and written in Hebrew. And usually that's not a problem, right? King means king. And there might be some added nuances, but we don't have to do a lot of work. But fearing the Lord is one of the most important concepts about our relationship to God. And we don't really have a good word in English for what this means. So you'll hear people say fearing the Lord. Well, you know, it doesn't mean fear as we understand it. It's more of like respect and awe. And there's certainly a part of that, but there's also fear. So I'm going to argue that when we hear the word fear in the Bible, fear the Lord, we want to keep three concepts in mind. And I think all three of these are coming together. First, I think fear means fear. When John in the book of Revelation and Isaiah and Ezekiel in the Old Testament, when, when they come into the presence of God, their response is not like, what's up? Their response is to fall on their face in fear, right? in terror at standing in the presence of the king of the universe. There is a sense in which we should respond with, with knee-knocking fear in the presence of God. The second element of biblical fear is, yes, respect. Respect is... I mean, we respect our teachers. We would respect a police officer. If we were in the Oval Office talking to the president, we would respect the president. There, there is that sense of like respect of, wow, I'm, I'm talking to someone really, really important. So yes, absolutely, respect. And the third concept that we want to keep in mind is awe. If you are standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon, if you are at the base of Mount Everest, if you are standing on the beach overlooking a sunset, if you're looking through a telescope and seeing the stars, you, you just have that, that sense of smallness, a sense of wonder. Your jaw just drops open and you are in awe. And so I think the job of a 21st century biblical reader today is not to pick which one of those elements we want to emphasize, but rather all of them together. So when I say fear the Lord, you're going to remember fear respect, awe, all of those things together. Now, let me give you a little bit of an analogy to help you maybe drive this point home. So I live in Birmingham, Alabama, and not too far up the road from me in a small town called Gadsden, there is a place called Tigers for Tomorrow. This is a big cat rescue sanctuary 
And as the name implies, they've certainly got tigers. They also have lions, or they have a lion. The first time I went, I went with a friend of mine named Matt, and we went just after they opened on a Saturday morning, and they had just finished feeding all the animals. And we went into Tigers for Tomorrow, and we the first thing you come to is the the male African lion enclosure. And he had just eaten and he was awake and he's sitting in his enclosure and my friend Matt and I are standing there and you know, there's, a, there's a path around his pen. There's a waist high chain link fence and then about a five or six foot gap and then a 20 foot tall chain link fence with like barbed wire around the top, like keeping this animal in there and keeping us out here. But it's a chain link fence. You can see through it. He can see you. And so my friend Matt and I are just walking around. We're talking. And the lion just turns and looks at me. He's just staring right at me. And as I'm walking around talking, the lion is just tracking me with his eyes. And I felt this shiver of fear. I realized that I was in the presence of a creature who could destroy me. Right? If I... If I come against that lion, I'm dead. There's just no chance. I have no chance against the lion. But I didn't run screaming because the fence was there. So I was able to safely be in the presence of that lion. Now multiply that by a trillion, and I think we're starting to see what the Bible wants us to think and feel and and do when we think about fearing the Lord on this side of the cross. So Jesus did not take away God's wrath. He didn't take away God's power. God is not some benign grandfather sitting on the throne. He is still the sovereign king of kings. He is still the alpha and the omega. And so when we are thinking about being in the presence of God, there still should be that, that shiver of fear. Not just, not just awe, not just respect, but all those together. But again, I don't have to run from God because Jesus is between me and the Father. He has taken the wrath of God for me in the sense that there is no longer any wrath for me to face. And so I am safe in God's presence. Now, one more difference, obviously, God is not a lion. The worst thing I could do with a lion is run towards that lion. But I want to affirm for us, friends, that the worst thing we can do, when we think about fearing the Lord, the worst thing that we can do is run from the Lord. Because we fear the Lord, run to him. When we run to him in worship, that is where safety lies. So there we go. Fear the Lord, awe, respect, fear. Not one of, but all of those concepts mesh together. And that's what the Bible means when it says to fear the Lord. So without any further ado, number two, let's jump right in. The second theme in the book of Deuteronomy is this. The author of Deuteronomy stressed the importance of taking God and his word seriously. So Moses is preaching this farewell sermon to the conquest generation, the children of those who left the land of Egypt, and he is making clear to them that enjoying life in the land, they're going to get the land. God has promised they're going to get it, but getting it does not mean they're going to enjoy it. If they want to enjoy being in the land, they need to surrender to Yahweh. They need to depend on Yahweh, and they need to trust in Yahweh and his word to guide them. And again, this is another one of those areas where when I say that, and you're thinking as a, as a Christian, like, boy, that sounds a lot like about my salvation. Like God has given me my salvation. He's done everything necessary. But if I want to enjoy my salvation in my day-to-day life, I should surrender to him, depend on him, and trust him. And you are exactly correct. 
the people of Israel that Moses is speaking to must keep God and his word central. Because in many ways, that was the whole point of the wilderness. That's what their parents never got. As Deuteronomy 8.3 says, God humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The Exodus generation did not depend on the Lord. They did not depend on his revelation, and they suffered for it. And so Moses is saying to the people who are about to go into the land, don't make the same mistake. Moses believes that life can only be enjoyed, truly enjoyed, lasting enjoyment that doesn't last just for a moment, but for all of life and for all of eternity can only be enjoyed when you closely follow God. Because as we saw in our last episode, Deuteronomy is binary. If you turn from God, you're turning towards death. No matter what you're turning to, if you turn from God, you are turning towards death. It is an amazing grace that God gives his word to us. But understand, friends, God is the initiator. He gives us directions. This is not a collaboration. God didn't call Moses and a couple other, the best writers in Israel. Hey, let's kind of get in a, a boardroom together with a whiteboard and, you know, let's just kind of bang out some laws here and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. A little brainstorming session. No, God speaks. He says, here is my word. Here is how you are to live. Here is how you are to respond to me. So God is the initiator. He gives us directions. We respond in obedience. And thus we get to enjoy the life that is found only in him. As it says in Psalm 119, 93, I will never forget your precepts for by them you have given me life. In this context, Moses charges Israel to hear God's word and follow God's word. Deuteronomy 4, 1, and now Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers is giving you. And he reminds Israel of the peril of drifting away. He says, you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. The implicit point being made here is those who did not hold fast drifted and perished. And so every day we have to be awake and aware of the tendency that we all have to drift. I don't know of anybody who goes to sleep one night loving Jesus and wakes up the next day saying, eh, Christianity is not for me. People who walk away from Jesus typically drift away from Jesus. And the same was true back then. So we must be willing to follow God. We must be surrendered to him. And we must actually trust that he can get us to where we need to go safely. That's what faith is. So we're going to combine sort of three concepts. We, we, want to, we want to end up with obeying God, following, right? We want to follow God. Well, following God is only going to happen if first we fear God and then we trust God. So these two things together, but as we will see in just a moment, in a particular sequence, fear, which leads to faith, which leads to obedience. We want to get to obedience. We have to understand what it means to fear the Lord and what it means to have faith in the Lord. Let's talk first about fearing the Lord as we defined the beginning of the episode. The Bible emphasizes that fearing the Lord is the generator for holy living. Exodus 20, 20, Moses said to the people, do not fear right? Don't run in fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. Here is the Lord. Don't run away from him in fear in rebellion. Run towards him and fear him that you may not sin. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the generator for holy living 
is fearing God. And lack of fear leads to judgment. Again, go back to Tigers for tomorrow. If I don't fear that lion and I say, I've always wanted to pet a lion. And I climb over that fence and I foolishly approach that lion. I'm going to die. That my lack of fear leads to my destruction, and lack of fear of Yahweh leads to not just earthly destruction, but eternal destruction. True obedience, obedience that pleases the Lord, not impresses people, but pleases the Lord, grows out of a heart that bows in submission to Yahweh. And what Deuteronomy stresses that I think we need to hear today is that fear of Yahweh comes before obedience and, in fact, creates obedience. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 3. Now, this is the commandment. The statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons. Okay, so what does it mean to fear the Lord? How do I, how do I demonstrate my fear of the Lord? By keeping all of his statutes and his commandments. The, the action is fearing the Lord. The, the way that we demonstrate we actually fear the Lord is we keep his commandments. So if we don't fear the Lord, we won't keep his commandments. If we do fear the Lord, we will keep his commandments all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do these commandments, that it may go well with you. So we are to fear the Lord, and that creates faith in the Lord, and that leads to obedience to the Lord. So fear is the foundation. Fear is the soil out of which faith grows. So we've got soil We've got something that's growing and we've got something that's flowering in the harvest that we see. So the soil, the ground is fear, fearing the Lord. And what grows in a biblical fear of the Lord is faith in the Lord. And the harvest that we gain from faith in the Lord is obedience. But we're not going to just get the fruit without the plant. And we can't have the plant without the soil. So the soil in which faith grows is fear. Faith in Yahweh is an outgrowth of fearing Yahweh. The way Moses sees it, if you truly encountered God, an encounter with the living God proves that he can be believed, that the God who descended in smoke and fire with the earth shaking and thundered from Mount Sinai, when he says, I am able to bless, and when he says, I am able to curse, we believe him. But he's not just the scary God who thunders. He's also the satisfier of our souls. A true encounter with Yahweh, with the living God, proves that he can be believed. And it also proves the desirability of lasting relationship with him. As Hebrews 11, 1 and 6 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God in faith, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. A heart of God dependence, right? A heart of God dependence, fearing the Lord and saying, I am not sufficient and you are. That is the root. And that's the soil, as we've been saying. The plant that grows out of that soil is faith. And the fruit that grows on that plant is obedience. You fear the Lord. When you encounter the Lord, you fear him. When you truly encounter him, you fear him. And when you fear him, you believe him. This is not some you know, street magician. This is not Oz behind the curtain pulling levers and, and, and running a scam on you. This is the living God. And when you fear him, you believe him. And if you truly believe that doing what he says will lead to life and joy and disobeying him will lead to suffering and death, you will obey him. Now, there are people in this world 
maybe because of their training or their upbringing, who, when they see a lion, aren't afraid. Right? Maybe they grew up hunting lions, and so they know how to handle a spear or a bow and arrow, or maybe they're a big game hunter and they've got a rifle, and so they can encounter a lion and be like, nah, I'm actually not scared of that lion. I know what to do here. But Yahweh isn't like that. He's infinitely greater than a lion. So if you don't fear the Lord, if you live as if he's not going to judge you, if you live as if he can just fit in your pocket and you can bring him out whenever you're in trouble, you actually haven't met him. Full stop. If you don't fear the Lord, you've never met him. Because to meet the Lord is to fear the Lord. And if you haven't met him, then you can't actually believe him. If you say you're a Christian, but you don't fear God, you don't live as if judgment day is coming, then you don't actually believe in the true God. You believe in whatever God it is that you have invented. And no matter what social pressure is put on, on, is put on you by family or friends or whatever culture you're living in, if you haven't met God, so you don't fear God, and so you don't believe God, you're not going to obey him for long. It's just not going to happen. You can fake it for a while, but sustained obedience, obedience through trials, obedience even when things seem to be not breaking your way, sustained obedience like that only comes from a heart that has met Yahweh, fears Yahweh, and believes Yahweh. Here's how the New Testament kind of ties these concepts together. We learn from James 2.17 that there's no true faith without obedience. James 2.17 says, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So proclaimed faith without works to sort of demonstrate the, the, the vitality of that faith is dead faith. But then we also learn from Romans that there's no true obedience without faith. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, Romans 14, 23 says, because the eating is not from faith. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So if you are doing the right thing on paper, but you're doing it to impress others or because you're scared of what other people might think, then you're not doing it to please the Lord. You're not doing it from a heart of faith. And therefore, it's not actual obedience, not actual God-pleasing obedience. So as Moses looks back, remember, he's preaching to the conquest generation, and he looks back at the Exodus generation, the, the parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles, the people that he's preaching to. And what he says is, your parents, your ancestors did not believe. He says it was a, a lack of faith that led to the Exodus generation's failure. And as we have seen, if they lacked faith, that means they also lacked fear. And think about this. If this generation, the Exodus generation, if they lacked fear, which comes from meeting God, remember everyone who truly meets God fears him. If this generation could lack fear, despite all that they had seen, this is proof that meeting God is something that God has to do in our hearts by grace. Think about all that they had seen with their eyes. The Exodus generation saw the 10 plagues. They saw God darken the sun in the middle of the day. They saw him turn the Nile River to blood. They saw him strike down the firstborn. They saw God part the Red Sea. They saw God lead them in a cloud of fire. They saw God speak to them from Mount Sinai. They saw God rain down enough bread every day for millions of people for 40 years. They saw God provide water out of a rock. They saw, they heard, they tasted, they felt, they, ex they experienced physically God, but it never reached their heart. They never actually met God. And since they didn't actually meet God, they didn't actually fear God. 
And we know they didn't fear him because they didn't believe him. And we know they didn't believe him because they didn't obey him. So friends, there is an inseparable connection here. Those who meet God, fear God. Those who fear God, believe God. Those who believe God, obey God. Those who obey God are blessed by God. This is what Deuteronomy is saying. And so if you're struggling with obedience, trace the root. If you aren't obeying, you don't believe. You don't believe what God says about what the good life is. You don't believe what God says about what your sin is earning for you. And if you don't believe that, it's because you're not afraid of him. You don't fear him. You don't have a sense of awe. You don't have a sense of respect. You don't have a sense of fear. And if you don't fear him, you haven't met him. Jesus says on judgment day, there will be many people who are going to be shocked to find out that they've actually never met Jesus. Depart from me. I never knew you. You never knew me. It may not be so with us. So examine your heart. If there is a shortcoming in your obedience, a struggle, a persistent struggle where you seem to be gaining no traction, I'm not there's a healthy self-examination that the Bible calls us to. I'm not, I'm not calling for morbid self-fascination, never, never being able to get out of this you know, doom loop of staring at yourself in the mirror every time you sin, but it might be something for us to consider. The Exodus generation lacked faith that overflowed in obedience, and they lacked this faith because while they had seen and heard amazing things physically, they had never heard or seen them spiritually. Spiritually, they were deaf and blind. They never saw Yahweh. They never heard him. So they didn't fear him. So they didn't trust him. So they didn't obey him. And so they perished. No fear, no faith. No faith, no obedience. Friends, for both the old and new covenant, real obedience flows out of a heart that is awed by God's greatness. Real obedience flows out of a heart that takes seriously what God says about blessing and curse and wisdom and foolishness. Real obedience flows out of a heart that is surrendered to God's ways, that looks at God in all of his glory and says, certainly you know what's better than I do. And real obedience flows out of a heart that trusts in God's promises, that he knows not only what is best, but he will reward those who are faithful and he will curse those who are not. And real obedience flows out of a heart that looks to God for help, a heart that knows We were not meant to be self-sufficient. We were meant to depend on God. So friends, if there is any area of your life that you feel you need to yield to the Lord, then now is always the right time. Today is always the day of repentance. Ask for a fresh encounter of God's grace to see and hear and experience the living God once again to drive that fear deep into our heart that leads to faith and that leads to obedience, which leads to life. So friends, the next time we come together, Lord willing, we're going to look at the centrality of love in our relationship with God. But for now, take up and read. God bless.